<laughs> what up, y'all? If you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 17, that's where we're going to be in today. And we've been in a series for the last few weeks called Made for Greatness. And the whole premise behind this series is this, is that God is a great God and he's deposited greatness into all of our lives. And uh, if this is true, which it is, uh, God wants us to access that. So how do we access the greatness that's already available to us, what's already inside of us? How do we tap into what God has put into our lives? That's what we are trying to unpack. And, uh, you know, for us, greatness in the eyes of the world, how many of us know that greatness to God differs than what greatness to the world, uh, how the world would define greatness. There's two different things, how we see greatness in God's eyes and how the world sees greatness. And for us, when God sends out an invitation to greatness, his directions doesn't always make sense. How many of us have experienced that in our lives before? How he would explain it to us doesn't always make sense. Sometimes it's counterintuitive, but also countercultural cultural to what the world is saying. And so in this series, uh, Made for Greatness, we've been just unpacking how do we really live a great life? Not what the world defines as greatness, but how God defines as greatness. So season one, we learned about Joseph. And last week, we kicked off season two, looking at the life of David. And I'm going to do a quick recap from the life of David. David was the youngest of eight kids. He was known as the black sheep of the family. Uh, some would say that he was uh, like a bastard child. He was born out of wedlock, and we don't really know that for sure, but that's what was said about him. Uh, his family didn't like him so much, uh, so much so that when they were uh, having a ceremony to invite, uh, to commission the next king, David wasn't even invited to this ceremony. He was out there tending sheep, but although he wasn't great in the eyes of man, he was great in God's eyes. And what we learned about from last week, that God uh, was working in the heart of David. David was honoring God in uh, obscurity. He was honoring God in moments where nobody was looking. He was being faithful to God. And the takeaway that we had from last week is this. Devotion to God in private will bring a promotion from God in public. So when we're faithful to God behind the scenes, God will eventually work his way to promote us in public. And so the story continues. David gets anointed as king in front of his, his brothers and his father. And uh, we have a war between two nations, the nation of Israel, which is what David was a part of, and the nation of the Philistines. And this war, uh, war was, or battle was happening uh, in a valley. And on one side of the valley was uh, Israel, and on the other side of the valley was the Philistine army. And they were at a standstill. They were waiting for the other person to make the first move. And so the Philistines decided to change up the game plan. Instead of us fighting with all of our armies in the valley, let's do something different. Let's do a one-on-one -on -one fight. Let's take this battle and do one-on-one. -on -one. And so they sent their greatest warrior named Goliath. And if you ever heard the story of David, you are familiar with this character named Goliath. Goliath was uh, anywhere between 7 to 10 feet tall. He was a giant. And so he starts to represent the Philistines. He gets down into the valley and he starts calling out Israel to send their best warrior. Here's what the, the odds were. Whoever wins this one-on-one -on -one fight, the other nation or the losing nation will be the slave to the winning nation. So there's a lot at stake in this fight. And the most obvious person who would or who should have stepped up to fight would have been Saul because the Bible describes Saul as being a foot taller than anyone else in all of Israel. And so although he wasn't 10 feet tall, he was the tallest that uh, Israel had, but even he was held back by fear and insecurity. So for about 40 days, Goliath was taunting and tormenting the nation of Israel, basically calling them out. And so David is uh, tending sheep, 
And David, uh, his father, sends him to uh, send uh, bread and cheese to the brothers who are on the battle line. And so David, being a faithful servant, becomes Uber Eats. He delivers pizza to his brothers on the battlefield, and he sees uh, not a battle happening, but he sees the Philistine giant calling out the nation of Israel, but more importantly, mocking the God that he serves. And because nothing was happening, it was like a moat fight where they were just waiting for the other person to throw first. You throw first. You throw first. That's what's happening here. No one was throwing, but we were waiting for something to go down. And so David sees this happening. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, 32, we see David's response. It says this, David said to Saul the king, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out and against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. David was about 15 to 17 years old. He was a teenager, okay? And he has been a warrior, speaking of Goliath, from his youth. Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and the tigers. Oh my, <laughs> this uncircumcised Philistine, which is basically a curse word, uh, will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will also rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. Pretty epic scene. And we're going to pull some principles to apply to our lives from this scene. And so I want to preach a message to you tonight from the title, Stones, Slings, and Giant Things. It's probably one of my best creative titles, okay? Stones, Slings, and Giant Things. Well, don't worry. I feel like the message is going to be better than the title itself. And so if you're ready for the word, say yeah. If you're ready for God to speak to your heart, say oh yeah. yeah. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your truth. Your word is truth. Speak to our hearts here tonight, Lord. We want to hear a word from you because we know one word can radically change and transform the trajectory of our lives. And so, Lord, we posture ourselves to hear from you. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that is soft, open, and receptive. For everything that you want to deposit to us tonight, we want to leave better than we came, and only you can do that. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen and amen. Stone slings and giant things. Uh, how many of us have fears? I've shared this before, and I've been pretty honest about my fear. My fear is a fear of heights. And in preparation for this message, I was reminded of a scene or a story in my life where this fear became apparent. Uh, many moons ago, many years ago, uh, I was reaching out to, or we had a small group with some guys from the North Shore. And in one of our attempts to uh, do a bonding outside of small group, they wanted to have a beach barbecue at a particular beach on the North Shore called Waimea Bay. Anybody been to Waimea Bay before? If you've never been, Waimea is known for its rock. We have a picture of what the rock look, looks like. And uh, Waimea is pretty much known for this rock. And uh, so on this one particular barbecue, we're there hanging out at the beach, uh, and I have this fear. And nobody knows that I have this fear, and so 
I'm just basically trying to, you know, play it cool. But all of a sudden, we're eating and everybody goes, let's go on to the rock. And like a dummy, uh, I joined the crew. And we started walking up the rock or walking to the rock and walking up the rock. And then I had a revelation that the height of the rock from the sand didn't look that tall. But once I made my way to the top of the rock, I realized that 25 feet looks like a 250 feet when you're at the top of the rock. And I am at the top of the rock, and we're all talking there, and I make the stupid mistake of looking down over the ledge, and all the bubble guts just start happening. I just feel like, oh, what did I do? What did I get myself into? And so I'm just trying to play it cool. Got a good poker face on the outside, but on the inside, it's just like, get out of here. What are you doing here? And so we're just kind of there, and I'm just trying to play it cool, and then everybody starts bombing off the rock. And so guys are doing gainers, guys are doing suicides and so forth, and everybody's going, and I'm just like, no, I'm not going to go. And instead of me jumping off the rock, I do what nobody should do. I stop and realize I'm not going to do this, and so I took the walk of shame and went down the rock. Don't judge me, all right? Don't you judge me. Okay, so I went to a lower point on the rock, and then I jumped off, and I made like I bombed with everybody else, you know? But on the inside, I had this fear that was stopping me. And the whole time, after everyone's bombing, they're all having fun, and you know what's going on in my head? You are so weak. (laughs) Why couldn't you jump off? And so I'm having this internal dialogue with myself in front of everybody else, and it was bothering me, the fact that I didn't jump off. So much so that the whole day was just kind of ruined. I'm in my head just thinking, why didn't I jump off? What's such a wimp and all these negative thoughts. And if you ever had a fear and you've ever not followed through on something, you've ever had your conversation with yourself and how you can be your worst critic and so forth. And so I find myself going into this deep, dark hole of depression because of me not jumping off the rock. And so mind you, this happened on a Saturday and it bothered me for the entire week. Just thinking, why didn't I jump off the rock? It got to the point where I was just like, I got to do something about this. And so my, my holiday or my day off is on Monday. And so a week later, I was tormented by my fear for an entire week. A week later, I was like, I'm going to do something. So on Monday, my day off, I woke up early in the morning and I made a beeline to Waimea Beach. I was like, we're going to do this today. All right, I'm going to handle this. And this is exactly what I did. I parked my truck. <laughs> I walked on the shore. I threw my shirt. And my keys on the sand, I made a beeline up the rock, didn't even think, and I jumped off. I just jumped off. And it wasn't one of those tourist pencil dives, don't judge me. I did a little mini can opener. It was a pretty decent bomb, okay? <coughs> Landed into the water, and on the bottom, I did a huge, huge. <laughs> I was so pumped that I did it. And I got up, went to the shore, grabbed my keys, and I drove out of there. Mission complete. That's exactly what I did. I didn't stay there a long time. I didn't hang out. I literally got my key, and then I felt like I, I had an accomplishment. Went and got some stortles and called it a day. It was a very productive day. I faced my fear. And for all of us, we have fears in our lives. The reality of life is this. You'll have fears. It's not that if you have fears, it's what you do when your fears arise. And on the path towards the greatness that God has for you, it will always come through a pathway where we're going to have to either choose faith or fear. We're going to be in a fork in the road. We're going to have to either choose faith, lean into what God is doing in our lives, or we're going to give into fear. You and I determine which path that we're going to take, but if we can trust God, 
he will lead us to a path towards greatness. But fear is a real reality. And the reality of fear is this. The longer you give into fear, fear will eventually become your God. What I mean by that is this. Fear will run the decisions that you make in your life if you allow it to. So much so if we allow fear to run our lives, then fear will eventually rule our life. So the thing about fear is this. We have to do our part to trust God in the midst of these fearful moments. And if anyone knew what it was like to face fear, it was our man, David. David was trusting God, but he also had to face a lot of fears that God was placing in front of him in his life. And so David had to overcome really a fear of facing a Goliath, and God prepared him for that moment. But all of us will face fears, face fears of maybe failure, face fears of what other people think about us, face fears of rejection on the pathway to greatness. We're going to have to overcome fear. And we're going to learn four things from how David dealt with fear so that we can apply this truth to our lives so that we can become the great people that God has intended for us to become. First point in our notes is this, be faithful in the space between being anointed and being appointed. We need to be faithful in the gap between being anointed and being appointed. The most important prophet last week we talked about was this guy named Samuel. And Samuel chooses David amongst eight brothers. And he anoints David, basically empowering him with the Holy Spirit of God to do what God has called him to do. He gets anointed to be king. But you know what happens immediately after he gets anointed as king? He goes back to being a shepherd. You would think you get anointed to be king, you're on a pathway to the palace. Not for David. He gets anointed as king, but he goes back to serving in a seemingly meaningless responsibility of being a shepherd. Here's the kicker. His anointing changed, but his responsibility didn't. His anointing changed in a moment. He got the oil poured all over him. He was greasy from all that oil from the Holy Spirit. But his responsibility didn't change. And oftentimes in life, our ability and our responsibility won't line up. We will feel like we're able to do way much more than what our responsibilities are given to us. I want, to know, I want you to know this. That's not punishment. That's called preparation. Don't think when you're responsibility seems small and insignificant that God is punishing you. In fact, he's doing the exact opposite. He is preparing you. And David was a shepherd for two years, two more years after being anointed as king. And we learn later on in the story, he doesn't become king till about 13 to 15 years later. So what was he doing in the gap between being anointed and being appointed as king? He was being Faithful. Here's what his next responsibility came. Not the palace, but something else. First Samuel 16, 21 to 22 says this. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Here's the backstory. Saul was being tormented because the presence of God left Saul and came upon David. And one of the ways that they were going to soothe Saul when he had these tormenting thoughts was to bring a musician, not a physician. They brought a musician to kind of play something to ease his anxiety. 
and they found out that David was not only a shepherd, but he was also a good musician. Check this out. He was a good musician. So David didn't go straight to being king. He goes straight to serving the king. Check that. He was anointed as king, but instead of being a king, God puts him in position to serve the king. And here's a heads up from God. God will give you a heads up on your calling, but like David, you should be faithful to do the things that God puts in between you and the calling that he wants you to fulfill. There's a preparation process that he has for you that he wants you to learn some lessons along the way. Before we had Cobra Kai, there was the Karate Kid. And they say this, a picture is worth a thousand words. So from Mr. Miyagi himself, take a look on screen. Oh, Miss Spot. What spot? Hey, hey, how come you didn't tell me you were going fishing? You're not here when I go. Well, maybe I wouldn't want her to go. You ever think of that? You're karate training. I'm what? I'm being your goddamn slave is what I'm being, man. Now, we made a deal here. So? So? So you're supposed to teach and I'm supposed to learn, remember? For four days, I've been busting my ass. I haven't learned a goddamn thing. Ah, you learned plenty. I learned plenty. I learned how to sand your decks, maybe. I wash your car, paint your house, paint your fence. I learned plenty, right? Ah, not everything is as simple. Oh, bull****. I'm going home, man. Daniel-san. Daniel-san. What? Come here. Show me sand the floor. I can't move my arm, all right? What are you doing? What are you... Ow! Ow, what are you doing? Now show me sand the floor. How did you do that? Shut up! Sand the floor. Stand up. Show me sand floor. Sand floor. Sand floor. Big sucker. Sand floor. Sand floor. Now show me wax on, wax off. Hey. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Hey, wax on, hat. Wax off, hat. Concentrate. Look at my eye. Lock a hand. Thumb inside. Wax on, hat. Wax off, hat. Wax on, hat. Wax off, hat. Wax on. Wax off. Ush. Show me paint a fence. Up, down. Up, down. Up, down. Other side. Look, I always look, I. Show me paint the house. Side, side. Lock wrist. Side, side. Side, side. Yes. Show me wax on, wax off. Show me pen to fence. Hush! Face! Death! 
Yes! Show me side to side. Yes! 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 Show me sand or floor. Hot! So David gets into the palace through service. And God had a reason for him to learn from King Saul, who was king, what it was like to be around a king. So David had first, like, front row access to what it was really like to be a king. He was around Saul to get to see the ins and outs of really what it means to be a king because he was anointed as king. Here's two lessons. We're going to unpack this more next week. Two lessons that David learned from Saul in serving him as being a armor bearer but also a musician. The first lesson, David learned to serve and honor someone who didn't reciprocate. Too often, you and I, we serve people with reciprocation in mind. I serve you so that you can serve me back. But true greatness is not about status. It is about service, serving people who do not necessarily reciprocate it back. The second thing David learned is this. David learned what not to do as a leader. Too often, we want to just learn what to do as a leader. David got front row access to learn what he shouldn't do as king. He was learning from Saul's mistakes, but he faithfully served Saul. So here's the kicker. If we want to help, uh, if we help others be successful, God will bring others to make us successful. So David had to learn what not to do because he will eventually become king. And so some of us, we're serving like really bad bosses and so forth, complaining about them, serve them well because how you serve a bad leader would be an indication of how other people are going to serve you when you're in the position of leadership. It always comes back around, so you want to serve well. So for David, faith means that he needed to trust God, trust God's method, and trust God's timing. So being faithful in the gap between being anointed and being appointed is what God wants to work out in our lives. Second point in our notes is this, confidence and skills are developed in phases. David was faithfully serving Saul, and then he eventually uh, uh, served his father, Jesse. Jesse sends him to deliver food. He was an Uber to his brothers on the battlefield. So serving opened the door to an opportunity that nothing else would have brought to David's life. And so David goes to serve, sees Goliath taunting, and David steps up to fight Goliath. And everybody around was like, hey, David, you're not that guy, pal. Okay, take it easy. You're just a teenager. But here's what David's response was. Verse 34 and 35. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. David got attacked by lions and bears. If a flying cockroach comes at me, I'm out. Peace. I'm done. Have you ever seen a lion and a bear? How many of us know that's not an easy task to take care of? And David was in charge of really watching his father's sheep. It wasn't even his own sheep. And if you and I were in a situation like that, 
where a bear came to attack the sheep, I would have been like, that's just one less sheep that I got to watch. Can we be honest? I am not going to put my life on the line to care for a sheep that is not even my sheep. But like we talked about last week, we got to sometimes be faithfully stewarding someone else's stuff before God can entrust us with our own stuff. And so in the moment where David could have been like, man, you can have all the sheep that you want, lion and bear, David stepped up to not only fend off the lion, he actually killed the, uh, or went after it when the, the lion and the bear had the, the sheep in its mouth. And I see it like this. It's kind of like having your own car and having a rental car. How many of us know that we treat our own car differently than we treat a rental car? When you treat a rental car, man, you don't take care of a rental car. How many of us just beat up the rental car, park it wherever because you don't care? It's not your car, right? How many of us ever drive in this? Like, just throw it in park just because. Driving 35 miles per hour, let's just throw this thing in reverse and see what happens, you know? Like, we don't care for a rental car like we do for our own car. And the point is this, is that when it's someone else's stuff, we tend not to care for things, but when it becomes our things, we tend to have or treat it with higher care. The, the same principle applies for God. Like, if we can steward other people's things well, He can entrust us with our own stuff. Like, He wants to see how faithful we are in serving and handling the needs and the things of other people. So while we're at work, you know what we're doing? We're being a servant to the people that are in charge of us or the bosses over us. We're literally faithfully stewarding what God has given us in that position to serve them. So how we treat our bosses at work, how we treat our coworkers at work, really is a reflection on our relationship with God. So we got to handle and manage these situations well. We got to make sure that we're not just serving our boss, but we're serving God through our boss and really stewarding everything. David was willing to put his life on the line to save sheep. And God took notice of that because he thought if David has that much care for sheep, he'll have that much care for the people of my nation that I'm going to entrust to him. The Bible calls you and I sheep. And so David was getting a lesson in leadership by taking care of animals. And so God was working in the life of David. And before David even faced Goliath, God was preparing him for that battle way before Goliath even came on the scene. So David's confidence in his ability to defeat Goliath came from his experiences in dealing with bears and lions. He needed to face a huge task of defeating a lion that was preparation for him to eventually face off to Goliath. Now, I'm sure the first time he saw a lion come to try and steal a sheep, he was scared. He used his sling, got the, the, sent the sling, the rock to the, the lion, killed the lion. He was like, Wow, that's crazy. God, that's pretty crazy. I'm sure the second time the lion came, he was like, I got this. I'm pretty used to this. And then God graduated him from the lion to the bear. I don't know which comes first. Like, I don't know what's more scarier, a bear or a lion. To me, they're like an equal scariness. But God graduated him from one animal to the next animal. All of this was just preparation for a Goliath that David had knew nothing about that was going to come down later on in the story but he needed to get victory over these things in his life that was preparation for the eventual giant that he was about to face. Face. And so God, he's pretty strategic. He's not going to just throw you out there and let you fend for yourself. He's always preparing you for what he has planned for you. He's very strategic. 
He has a process that he wants us to go through because he's preparing us for the greatness that he has for us in our lives. And so each achievement that David made gave him confidence for the next challenge. Before I became confident or comfortable speaking on stage, I needed to have an entryway for that to happen. The first thing that they gave me to do was just hosting, like what Jerk did. You know, I was just hosting the service. And for me, that was a huge task. Like, oh my gosh, just to be on stage in front of people. Mind you, we were a lot smaller and we were at a, a cafeteria in Momilani, but just being in front of people was just scary. I was like, oh, I'm gonna, how am I going to do this? And the whole week, when I knew that I was going to do it on Sunday, how many of us know I was thinking about it every single day from Monday through Sunday? And I got worse right before, 10 minutes right before, doing worship. I'm not even worshiping God. I'm just thinking what I'm going to say in the announcements because that's how nervous I was. And public speaking wasn't a natural thing for me. I needed to grow in it. And the first time I did it was super nervous. I told people all the time. We had a, a next step card that we were telling people about. I was holding the next step card and my hand was shaking uncontrollably as I'm talking about the next step card. Nobody heard anything I said because they were just looking at my hand just going uncontrollably shaking. That was step one. I needed to get comfortable with doing announcements. And then after announcements, you know what happened? They were like, let's give this guy one point with the youth. And so I went to give one point in a message with the youth. And I needed to practice and prepare to that. And after that, they were like, okay, we'll give you one point in the, the youth. And then we're going to give you maybe a message with the youth. And I don't know why they consider youth preparation because the youth is worse than you. Like, you can give me feedback, you can pay attention, but the youth will tell you to your face if they're paying attention or not. They will just, like, not even pay attention to you. And that was just, like, preparation for public speaking. I had to learn how to navigate kids who don't want to listen to you, kids who don't even want to listen or be in church. I had to learn how to communicate passionately God's Word there. And so they gave me youth, and they gave me, here, let's do a, a small class for you to teach there. And so they were like preparing me all along. And then they were like, all right, you did that. You did the youth. You did the teaching thing. We're going to give you one of our smaller services to do. And then I was super nervous. For years, mind you, I had a nervous quiver in my voice. I'm glad we don't have those tapes way back in the day, because every, if you would listen to it, you could hear me being nervous in the midst of the preaching. So shame, but God is gracious and he works in all of our lives. And so mind you, now I'm a little bit more comfortable, but it was seasons and wins that I needed to accumulate along the, along the process that prepared me for doing what I'm doing today. So we have to take every moment and opportunity that God gives us and see it as preparation. Like handling it with excellence and care. Not just disregarding what God has given you, but really going into it with a focus that, God, you're giving me this opportunity. I'm going to do my best to honor you with this opportunity. Now, I don't think I'm a great speaker, but I know that I'm called to do it, and God needed to develop this gift in me. Sometimes gifts are easily seen. Most gifts are a seed that you got to develop, that you got to work the seed. you got to work the gift that God has given to you. It's not always automatic. But when you do it in faith, the grace of God comes upon you and you can do what he's calling you to do. So whatever he's calling you to do, he has a pathway and a process for you to develop that in. Be faithful with the small and God can entrust you with more responsibility. Third point in our notes is this. Faith for the future comes from reflecting on past victories 
Verse 36 and 37, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who has rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David recounted all the times God showed up in his life. He reflected and remembered all the victories that God gave him along the way. And our confidence oftentimes to move forward in faith comes as we reflect on past victories that God brought in and through our lives. If you find yourself at a point right now where you feel like I'm at a situation right now and I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to face this, sometimes you got to stop and think about all the times that God showed up powerfully in your life. All the moments where you felt like you couldn't do this and God showed up. All the times where you felt like I can't get past this heartbreak in my life. God healed you and then began to work in and through your life, redeeming that heartbreak. Now it's a testimony of his faithfulness in our lives. So for you and I, what gives us faith to move forward is having a reflection of all the things that God has done for us. I work on Sundays. I'm at church. I'm not watching fantasy football or watching football like other people because I'm saved and I love Jesus. But I realized that I don't watch full football games anymore. I usually just watch ESPN for the highlights. And ESPN does a good job of just kind of highlighting to you what took two and a half hours and it gives you it in 20 seconds. I think for us in our walk of faith, we need to have highlights of God's faithfulness in our lives always on our mind. The times where God met you in your brokenness. The time where God opened an opportunity for you to get a job that you did, you've been praying for. God, times where God showed up to provide you with the necessary finances that you needed or surrounded you with the right people that you needed in your life in a specific season or in a moment in your life. You need to remind ourselves or have a highlight reel of God's faithfulness in and through our lives because that gives us faith for the future. I'm reminded of moments where uh, a couple years ago, we were looking for a house and everybody was saying, there's the odds of you getting a house right now because the market was so high, the, the, the interest rates was low. They're like, it's going to be an impossible miracle for you to get a house. And my God showed up in a moment like that because my God is a God of impossibilities. And God opened the door for me and my wife to have a single family home at, at two and a half percent. It's a crazy story. But God was faithful. I needed to trust him. I needed to go out there and put myself in situations. And God showed up for us to have our home. I'm reminded of me praying every single day for my dad to show up to church. And every time I asked him to come to church, he would say, church is not for me, son. Fast forward years later, my dad is not only serving faithfully at most every service. I think he's here more than me. He's leading a small group, and he's growing in his relationship with God. I see that, and I'm reminded that God is a faithful God. And so anytime I'm in a place or in my life where I feel like I can't do this, I got to get faith for my future by looking back at what God has done in my life. Turn to your neighbor and say, look back at it. You got to look back at what God has done in your life. Some of us are not even supposed to be here. Some of us had so many near-death experiences that you wonder if it's just coincidence that you're alive. The fact that you're still alive is a sign from God that he's protected you because he has greatness inside of you. So the reason why you're still breathing is because he's not done with you yet. He has something great in store. So the fact that you're still alive is God's sign that he's not done with you yet. Continue to trust in him. 
And sometimes if you don't have faith for your future, you just need to get around other people who can encourage you about what God has done in their life. Sometimes when my faith is low, I need an encouragement from other people who have had a high faith or they're seeing God move in their lives. And that's why we need to be in small groups. And so our faith for the things that we have ahead comes from as we reflect on all the things that God has done in our lives. You know what happens when we graduate from one victory? God prepares us for a bigger battle. I hate that about God. God, I just conquered something big. And he's like, all right, that was good. Now you're ready for something bigger that I have for you. So what does that mean? I'm graduating from a lion to a bear to now Goliath. So I hate to say this to you, but graduation and maturity with God is bigger battles. What does that mean? We can't ever get stagnant. What does that mean for us? We got to keep on trusting God with our lives. And the same God that came through in the past will also come through in our future. You know, sometimes after we conquer our personal battles, it's so that God can help us and give us the strength to help other people in their battles. So you might not be facing a battle right now. Maybe you're in a position right now to help other people who are fighting their battles. God wants you to come alongside other people. Last point in our notes is this. Be courageous in whose you are and what he's given you. 1 Samuel 17, 30, 38 to 40. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his uh, sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took on, uh, took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch, in his shepherd bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. So to Saul's credit, he was trying to prepare David for this moment with Goliath, not knowing that God was already preparing David for that moment. And he tried to help him out by giving him his own armor. Isn't it funny that Saul was trying to give David advice, but he wasn't willing to fight the battle that David was about to fight? Here's a, a good point to you. Be careful who you get advice from. Because if they're not fighting the same battle that you're fighting, I don't think they have the credibility to give you the, the advice that you need in the moment that you're facing. So David, in a moment, is ready to face Goliath, but he has all of this armor given to him. He refused Saul's armor because he knew it wasn't made for him. David had a good self-awareness of what God has entrusted him to do. Never up until this point was David given armor. The only way that he survived in the, the wilderness and survived in the pasture tending sheep is with his sling and with his staff. And so he didn't try to be somebody else. You know, in life, you're going to be pressured to try and be someone else to try and walk in someone else's shoes, to try and wear someone else's armor. And if you're not confident in whose you are, other people are going to try to define you and tell you who you're supposed to be. And David, in a moment, needed to resist this mold that Saul was trying to put him in, and he needed to trust the things that God has already placed into his life. So David understood that in order for him to defeat Goliath, he had to use the God-given gifts that was given to him, not what was given to other people. He had to be confident in what God already worked out in his life for this moment that he was about to face Goliath. And here's the truth. If you don't know who you are, other people will try to tell you who you're supposed to be. I heard it said this way, the opinions of others only become important if you don't know who you are. So if you find yourself 
giving in to the opinions of other people, that's a sign that you're not confident who God has called you to be. So David politely refused Saul and became confident in who God had created him to be. So he went and got stones. He got five stones. Some theologians say that he went and got five because he knew Goliath had four brothers. And so what he was trying to do is he's going to take care of one, one brother, but he's about to take care of an entire family. He's like, I got this for the whole family. I'm going to take care and handle this. I'm going to handle this situation. And so David, in this moment, he steps up and he reads here in verse 45 to 47, you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin. He's talking now to the Goliath. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. So he's about to preach not only to the Philistines who didn't know God, but to the Israelites who are supposed to have a confidence in God. He was going to preach to them as well to have the same confidence in God that he had. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. So he's about to face a giant. What is a giant in your life right now? A giant basically is anything that is prohibiting the advancement of the will of God in your life. That's what we can consider a giant. And some of us in this room... We have giants of depression that we're battling, giants of addiction, giants of shame and rejection. These are some of the giants that we're finding ourselves battling with on a daily basis. And as believers, we all have these giants in our lives, but we also have a God that is bigger than the giants. And so our focus needs to be less on the giant that we're facing and more on the God that we're serving. We need to have a proper perspective of who God is in moments when we're facing our giants. So how do we overcome our giants? We don't run away from our giants. We don't ignore our giants. We run to our giants with confidence and the strength and courage that God has given each and every one of us. Parents in the house, the giants that you fail to conquer will become the, the giants that your kids will have to face. So when we're talking about fighting giants, we're not just talking about one generation. We're talking about the next generation as well. So the things that we ignore, the things that we put aside, you know who's going to have to face that? Our kids will have to face that. So God is giving us a stewardship that we need to fight them so that our kids don't have to fight them as well. So David found courage to face the giant in his life. Some of us need to face some things in our lives and stop ignoring it, stop making like it's not there. We need to have the courage from God to start facing some things in our lives. Some of us here tonight need to face giants. Some of us here need to realize that the courage that you have is a counterfeit courage. Goliath had courage. He had a cocky courage. He was confident in his skills and ability, but he was not confident in God. And some of us here, we're so confident in what we have and what we've done, our accomplishments and so forth, and we're just setting ourselves up for God to remind us of our humanity. Sometimes God is going to lovingly allow us to experience failure, disease, or some sort of divorce so that we realize that we're nothing apart from God. See, he wants to break that Goliath mentality and have us have a David mentality, a desperation for God. So David swinging that sling 
And with all his might, he throws that sling, that rock, hits Goliath right in the forehead, and he goes down. But David knew that it's not just important to knock down your giant, you need to kill your giant. So you know what he does? He goes up, takes Goliath's sword, and cuts off Goliath's head with his own sword. Because he wanted to make sure that this giant was not just down, but that this giant was dead. David is just a glimpse of a man that would come a thousand years later, who came from Bethlehem, just like David, who was actually born through the line of David. And just like how David conquered Goliath and got a victory that not only he experienced, but the whole people of God experienced, we have this man named Jesus who conquered sin and death. And through his victory, we can have victory in our lives as well. So David, as good as he was, he was still a man. But he was giving us a glimpse of the, the better David named Jesus who would eventually come to set us free from sin and death so that we can live a life free from anything holding us back from what God has intended for us to live. And this Jesus now not only wants us to conquer giants, but he wants to empower us to do whatever it takes for us to live the life that he's calling us to live. So whatever situation you find yourself in right now, don't rely on your own strength. Use it as an opportunity to remind ourselves of the faithfulness of the God that we serve. Let's pray. God, we thank you.